today's um, lecture. So, today's lecture, time for a vacation. Subtitles, the kids will be away at summer camp, there will be no one else's needs to be busy with, I will have time for myself. Last line of the subtitle, why does that sound a little scary? So, we all look forward to vacation, but then somewhere along the line it gets scary. Why? So, let's talk about conflict. Every story, every good lecture, every good journey has conflict. If there's no conflict to work out, then the story has no suspense, it has no excitement, there is no arch to a story. It's just a lovely story. They woke up one day, it was beautiful, it was sunny. You're not going to read that book and you're not going to go to that movie. Where people really begin to engage is where there's conflict. So the question here is, what is the conflict of this, um, the conflict of this lecture, the, the story of this lecture? And obviously the line is, the conflict begins in the last line. Why does that sound a little scary? So you have the title, Time for Vacation. Obviously that brings a very warm feeling to your heart. We all remember, go back to when we were in school and that was it, it was now the end, you know, we're all nervous about finals, but we smell that warm feeling, vacation's coming, right? And that builds up. You read the subtitles, it builds that emotion. The kids will be away at summer camp, there will be no one else's needs to be busy with, I will have time for myself. That's all building one set of emotions. Oh, that would be wonderful. And then comes the last line of the subtitle, which creates a conflict of emotion. Why is that suddenly scary? So, literally minutes after I sent out this uh, notice, the email notice of today's lecture, I get back a, 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 an email from someone who happens to be in New York right now, and she tells me, wish I could be there, would come to the lecture, but I must let you know, to me, this is not scary at all. What she's telling me is, there's no conflict. I'd love to hear what you have to say, but to me, vacation has no conflict. It's smile plus smile plus smile equals smile. There's no scariness, there's no concern, there's no nothing. What I'm presenting to you here today is that there is a conflict. As wonderful as vacation feels when we start thinking and preparing, there is the conflict that vacation when we realize that now children are going on their own vacations, i.e. summer camps, or whatever it may be, or maybe your husband will be joining you, spouse will be joining you later, but you're going to have two weeks just alone. Suddenly, there is something scary about that. Why? I'm going to talk about something for a moment. Okay? Let's look at it this way. People are married, they have children. And then all of a sudden, as life moves on, children start traveling to school. Somewhere in that point, there's a moment where one or two of the spouses have a clear realization that very soon, all the kids will be out of the house. And there's only going to be the two of us. With that realization comes along the fact that, okay, he, I, will retire. So we're going to wake up every morning, sit down to breakfast, and there's not going to be the 8 o'clock office I need to rush to. There's no more children's needs to, behind, to hide behind. And all we're left with is each other. 
and we're going to communicate. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, <laughs> the last time I have a visual recollection of that was 27 years ago when we were dating, where I'd actually call you for no other reason than I just wanted to talk to you. That hasn't happened in 27 years. If I call my spouse, it's because of kid needs A, carpool change, something's going on, and vice versa. There is no more just sitting and talking with each other for no need. And we realize that somewhere in this journey of life, spouses have grown apart. We've been hiding our relationships behind the needs of others. Children, in-laws, whatever it may be, bills, mortgage, office work. So all of a sudden, suddenly, there comes this moment where you realize, oh my God, there's going to come a time where we cannot hide our marriage behind needs of kids, needs of bills, needs of anything. Usually when that moment of revelation comes, we all of a sudden have this very acute awareness that we have grown apart along this journey called family. And all of a sudden we have this burning desire and need to communicate. We better stop practicing this, because soon that's all we're going to have. Usually with that comes along somewhere, this sudden thought, maybe we should be going to marriage counseling. Now, if we're talking about in our marriage, realizing that we're going to be alone with each other, and that we've been hiding from that so long, behind all the things that husbands and wives do together, Things were perfect. We always talked about our kids. We always did. We made, we made you know, our budgets together. We, we did everything together. We went through hard times together. We went through other stuff together. So it wasn't like it was bad. But suddenly I realized, whoa, you know what really was happening is we were hiding our marriage. We didn't want to have to face our marriage relationship. So we were hiding behind all of this. And all of a sudden it's going to happen. We're going to be left alone with each other. There won't be nothing to hide behind. How much more so when you have to face this about yourself? All of a sudden, there is no one, no relationship, no needs of a relationship to hide behind. You're actually looking nowhere else but in the mirror. So what's amazing about this is that if you were to ask me right now, Rumi, here is a budget. Just what do you want to do? Without a hesitation, I would tell you, in my really crazy moments, I would tell you I want to go to Japan and hide in a monastery for about a couple of weeks slash months just to be with myself. And if I'm not really crazy that moment, I would tell you, just get me into Yosemite Park, Yellowstone Park. Just, just give me there for couple of weeks alone. Take care. Here's, I'm going to give your number to my wife and kids. They'll call you when they need everything. Just, I want two weeks alone. Just want to be with God, nature, and for me. But that is the first reaction. I really need some time with myself, believe it or not, guys. But then comes that second moment. That's not easy to be alone with yourself. Nowhere to hide. 
So I want to share with you something very interesting. I had a very, very great experience. So what we're actually saying here, before I go to this next great experience, I want to just be clear. What we're actually saying here is that maybe the story does have a protagonist that has a huge, huge issue of conflict here. The protagonist is I. Each one of us says that. It's I. And the conflict is vacation. It carries two conflicting emotions. I so yearn for it. And then when it's within reach, you know that famous saying, be careful what you pray for, you might, uh, you might get it. All of a sudden when it becomes there, you start worrying. So I wanted to share with you a different perspective of this, so it shouldn't sound so traumatic. I'm sorry, Rabbi, and what is the word? What is the word? Of having to be alone with yourself, not hiding behind anyone. Okay. Not hiding behind any needs, not behind anything. And you'll see it in a moment. So I want to share with you an experience. I had a great experience. Those of you who read my Shavuot personal message or heard about this already, I uh, actually spent three days in a beautiful seven-habit, um, three-day seminar workshop that was presented to the community by um, Sage. It was a beautiful experience. No, just after that, I ended up talking to someone and I was still animated and excited and I told them, you won't believe what I did. I spent three days, I went to this seven habits thing and, and they saw that I was excited, I really appreciated it. And they asked me, really, what was the best thing? What was the one thing? You know, you always, you can't take away everything. What was that one, what did you really take from this whole thing? Your most amazing experience, a moment at a whole three-day seminar. Without even having to, well, one second, let me think about that. It just came out right away. The most amazing experience I had from this whole seven-day Habit workshop was habit number two. Habit number two is begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind means that you need to go ahead and know what your goal is. And in the process, when they do that, they introduce you to creating a personal mission statement. So it's not about where I want my business to be, where I want my financial, it's a personal mission statement. When you're there in baby form, pure naked, not hiding behind anything, it's you, it's you, and it's you, what is your personal mission statement? And the process is actually very interesting. Um, you go ahead and you sit with a uh, partner and they interview you. They'll ask you questions such as I presented a moment ago. If you had a sure success, you don't have to worry about failure, and the budget is available, what would you do? Name one thing. And you answer these questions, and then later, there's actually a guy who writes in your book those answers that you're giving, and later you sit down with that book, you work it over, and you're on your way to understand, because if you're honest with the answers, you should start hearing about your personal business statement. Okay, fine. After that, you do what we call a mind spill. You just write, you just write, you just write. Then after that comes the process of revisiting, revisiting, revisiting until you get it down to a one sentence thing. If your personal mission statement is about four pages long, we have serious situations. So it's got to break down to one sentence. Some even get it down to three words. So that was the process. In this process, they said something beautiful. They quoted Viktor Frankl. You guys read Viktor Frankl's yes. book, A Man's Search mm -hmm. for Meaning? You ever read it? Beautiful book, beautiful book. Really, he's a Holocaust survivor from Austria, he was a psychologist, very, very beautiful. To make the long story short, they quote him there in the Seven Habits workbook. 
saying as follows. People detect their purpose. They do not create their purpose. Remember this sentence. We're going to be hearing about this a lot today. So, if you try to create, you're not going to get to your real inner purpose. It's about detecting. Why? What's the difference, guys? The difference is that when you create something, you're reaching out to external stimulation to figure out what I want to make my purpose. When you're detecting, you're going inwards. You need to go inwards. You need to go inwards. Don't tell me that this would be nice, that would be nice. Go inwards. Find it. Okay? With that being the case, i got to tell you what happened. So, in my process of revisiting, one day, I got myself, you know, into a, uh, went to the restroom and opened up the hot tub. You know, making myself a hot tub with the sole intention to just get into a hot tub and spend time with myself. <laughs> yes, I'm going to admit to you, the only room in my house that has a lock is the bathroom. It's the only place where I can actually spend some time alone until the spouse and children build up the courage to start knocking at the door and asking questions. But for those moments where they don't yet have that courage, that's where I can be alone. Okay. So, with that being the case, hot tub fills, I get into that tight, you know, warmth of a hot bath, you know, realizing what a shame that it's not big enough for me to get into a fetal position and just totally go back. But... That's what it is. I'm sitting there. And my purpose is to just be with myself. Try to detect. What is my personal mission statement? I will share with you that to get through the first couple of layers of consciousness wasn't that hard. But then suddenly, I started realizing that I'm dealing with the first battle of artillery coming against me, not letting me really get into my own self. It is amazing, guys, how there I am trying to be alone, single, childless, just a me. talk to yourself, look at yourself, who are you, what is your mission statement, and what I kept on getting bombarded with was again remembering, oh, I have this responsibility, that responsibility. I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a shliach in a community, I'm a sibling. It doesn't stop. And now in a personal mission statement, you're not a parent, you're not a child, you're not a sibling, you don't have a community responsibility. You're you. You can't get to your personal mission statement if it's all about others. So I'll, I'll tell you the whole process. I put on the jacuzzi engine, the pumps, thinking that, you know, a lot of times when there's noise in the background, it helps neutralize your own static in your mind. You know, the stimulation, just the water flow and the noise, maybe it'll help, you know, battle against the static, the noise in my consciousness, I can just try again. Didn't work. I shut it back off. So I did another trick. I often think in pictures rather than in words. It helps me shift from the left lobe of the brain to the right lobe of the brain. 
wouldn't work. I could not get past a certain point in the layers. As much as I try to think of what do I, I, want to look like in 10 years from now, not as a father, not as a spouse, not as a son, not as a sibling, not as a shliach, not as having a shul, just me, just me as me. It wouldn't work. And suddenly I realized that at the age of 43 with six children, the oldest one being 16 years old, I have no purpose as myself, just for myself, in my relationship with God. Void of responsibilities in relationships with others. It was a very humbling experience to realize. Now let me tell you, I consider myself someone who spends a fair amount of time to know myself and my relationship with Hashem. Not just myself with my, rela- with my responsibilities and my relationships to others. I am very focused. I tell this to many people when I speak to them in counseling or in just open conversations that at some point you need to be yourself. Don't just be a child of someone. Don't be a parent of someone. Don't be a spouse of someone. Don't be part of a community. There is a place in your being where it's just you and God, you and God, you and God, God and you. You have no responsibilities to anyone but yourself, which ultimately means your responsibility to God. And all of a sudden to realize that I cannot do this journey of a personal mission statement where I really can think in pictures, see, understand, feel, and now let's use the big word, detect what my personal mission statement is from the inside out. It left me bothered. It left me very perplexed. From there, I was thinking about it and thinking about it. (laughs) Obviously, I had to get out of my tub. Knocking started. Hello, are you alive in there? Okay. But it was on my mind. It was on my mind. It was on my mind. Shabbos morning. I couldn't understand why I couldn't do it. And more bothersome, I didn't understand how to do it. Shabbos morning, I learn every time a mimer of the Rebbe. Now while I have my regular study, you know, I set up for myself, nevertheless, when it comes to Shabbos morning, I pretty much act random. I'll grab a mimer, find a connection with this week, and learn it. So when I'm talking about this, uh, this Shabbos, I happen to pull out the book of my Morim that the Rebbe delivered in 1960. And I just noticed that that Shabbos was exactly like this year's Shabbos. It was a Shabbos after Shavuos. It was Parshas Nusso, Torah portion Nusso. It was the ninth of Sivan. I sat down with it. Interesting enough there, I started finding the process. I started finding understanding and what needs to be done. On top of that, besides that, I also have my regular scheduled studies. 
I put that mimer together with the other mimer that I was learning and things became very clear. That's why in my notes, which you'll see later, I actually write over there that this entire lecture is based upon two mimarim from the Rebbe. One that was delivered in 1956, the Shabbos after Shavuos, and one that was delivered in 1960, the Shabbos after Shavuos. The first one may have been more than one. It could have been two Shabbos after Shavuos. Let's see what's going on in these mimarim. So, number one. We talk about layers. There is this teaching from our sages. Just as the soul fills the body, so does God fill creation. From this perspective, we learn a lot about the soul. We learn a lot about the relationship between the soul and the body, God and His creation. The first thing you come across and you learn is that there are layers. What does it mean, layers? Layer number one, bottom up. Layer number one, emotions. What is emotions? Let's be clear about something with emotions. You see, emotions beget relationships. The emotion of love needs someone to love. So when a human has a need to love and to be loved, that tells you I need someone else in my relationship. I need to be in a relationship with someone else. So when we understand this process, when we understand that emotions demand to leave you, to be outside of you, there needs to be a receptacle of your emotions. Otherwise, your emotions are nothing more than potentials. They, not, they are not to be. They're not actual, existing, actualized concepts. The person has potential to love, but has no one to love. The person has potential to be kind, but has no one to be kind to. So emotions are demanding. I want to get out. I want to get out of being within me. I want to be in a relationship with someone else. Something else. This is not in my notes, but... I just want to share this. Have you ever noticed people that are alone? Usually, at some point, will get pets. I'm not joking. There's a reason for that. I'm laughing because I wanted to get one. There, there is a reason for that. Because the strongest drive of a human psyche is their emotions. I mean, just put it to the test. I want something, I know I shouldn't. Which one is whispering and which one is screaming? So please understand that emotions demand. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to go on vacation alone. I don't want to just be and meditate in the forest. What have fun. I want to go with. I want to to talk to. So emotions demand relationships. In the world of Kabbalah and Hasidus, we talk about emotions as vessels, and we talk about intellect as light. Light in a vessel. The definition of a vessel is the actualization towards externalism. So when we talk about the human being, that the lowest level and the most dominant level is emotions, we suddenly need to stop for a moment and now understand the conflict 
that I presented to you in the beginning of this lecture. Being alone is scary. I don't have who to have fun with. I don't have who to love. I don't have who to interact with. Now if you stop and think about that we spend most of our life being dominated by the throes of our emotions, how much more so if we don't learn to use intellect to create, maintain, control, and define our emotions, then let me tell you something. Going on vacation two weeks alone, without your cell phone, no texting, no email, in a cabin, somewhere in a national park, is scary. You can't be emotional with yourself, about yourself. And that level is just potentials. It's amazing how you put someone for X amount of time by themselves, with themselves. And do you know what the interesting byproduct sometimes is? Anxiety attacks. So when we talk about this concept of vacation alone, I just want you to hear that the first layer and the most dominant layer, the one we're most in touch with, the one that drives us, the one that we feel all day long, which is the layer of emotions, is scared. I don't want to spend time with myself. I want to be actualized. I want to be in a relationship with something, someone. Let's go to the next layer. The next layer is the layer of intellect. So I told you that in Hasidus often you find that emotions are the vessels and intellect is the light. Now it's very interesting because people who are intellectual usually don't have high social lives. Because intellectual people actually enjoy thinking. Thinking begets solitude. It begets quietness. You ever try to sit and meditate on something in the middle of a fraternity party? So when you want to be intellectual and you want to think about something, you actually don't want to be bothered. Those are the beautiful moments where you actually shut off your cell phone. You don't want to hear the beeps of a text and the beeps of an email coming in and a Facebook message and getting a you know BlackBerry aimed and all that and then the phone. No, I just want to be alone. It's interesting, but intellectual people, many of them are nocturnal. There's something beauty to know that the masses of society are sleeping. So on some level, the intellectual layer of our psyche does want to be alone. But light is attracted to vessels because light becomes fulfilled within vessels. Even in the intellectual process, you want to see the fruition of your intellectual process. You don't want it to be written on your tombstone, a man of many thoughts. Didn't go anywhere with it, but definitely a man of many thoughts. For an intellectual, by the way, not in my notes, but let me share with you, for intellectual, that's called a midlife crisis where they realize that they're a man of many thoughts. How many things they were going to do, figure it out, but 
didn't really do it. So even the intellectual layer, ultimately speaking, doesn't want to always be alone. Wants to have time to be alone, to plan, to figure out, to go there, but then wants to actually be in the emotional experience of that. Let's make this happen. Let's take it from the inside out. On top of that, intellect is not the essence of the soul. It's not the simplicity of the soul. It's the faculties of the soul. So that wouldn't be the right place to look for detecting, not creating, not deciding, but detecting your personal purpose in life. It wouldn't be? No. No. Because the intellect is the faculties of the soul. It's not the simplicity of the soul. So therefore, we're talking about complexity. We're talking about not detecting which comes from within. We're talking about being affected from what comes from without. So we go to the next layer. Layer number three. Remember, we're going from the bottom up and the outside in. Layer number three is will. The power of will. Now, the power of will is a very peculiar power within the human psyche. Because the power of will encompasses your entire being. You see, all other faculties have an organ location. Intellect's in the brain, feelings are in the mind, and go in the heart, and goes on and on. You see, when it comes to the power of will, it encompasses all your organs equally. You can have a strong desire to learn. That's your brain. You can have a strong desire to feel. That's your heart. You can have a strong desire to jog every morning. That's your feet. You can have a strong desire to diet. That's your stomach. So the power of will is very peculiar from that perspective. It's not like the other ten faculties, which is the three intellects and seven emotions that we spoke about prior. It's a little different. But what's interesting about the power of will is that there's a famous saying, right? If there's a will, there's a way. There's a way. Why? Because the power of will is the inclination of the essence of the soul. When you really want something, what's happening is that the essence of your soul, which is uncompromisable, is inclining towards something. And when someone's essence of a soul inclines towards something, it would be best to get out of their way because they will stop at nothing until they reach their desired goal. Because this isn't an intellectual wishful thinking. It isn't an emotional fatuity. It's actually the essence of your soul saying, I want that. That is why in the laws you'll always find when it comes to learning, it's the only area where the Rebbe Blessed Memory sided with the child and not with the parent. If the parent wanted the child to learn in one school and the child wanted to go to another school, it is the only time that I know about that on a consistent basis the Rebbe sided with the child. Why? Because our sages teach us Le'olam yumad adam b'makom libo chafetz a person should study where their heart wants. Why? 
Because the power of will is, in th is the inclination of the essence of the soul, and therefore there's a Kabbalistic rule. Will. Will empowers the fulfillment of all your faculties. You ever try to study something, surely, that you don't want to study? You ever try to study something that you do want to study? Have you noticed the difference of your brain capacity? You weren't stupid then. You didn't suddenly become a genius now. The power of Ratzon is to drive the essence of your soul into that organ because it wants something. So, you couldn't, you couldn't die, you couldn't die, you couldn't die. You tried every single diet from the South Beach to the North Beach. And what happens by the end? Suddenly the doctor tells you, you have high cholesterol. There's also heart coronary disease in your family. You really need to make a choice. So we're going to put you on. Okay? You're into organic stuff. I really don't want to go on stat medicines, no thank you. But what do you mean? You're... Ever notice how suddenly pounds start disappearing? Suddenly, it's okay never to touch white flour again. Where did that come from? Chocolate? Chocolate was, you know, like oxygen. How did that all of a sudden happen? Ratzon. It isn't just a fear factor, because fear factors don't last for long. Fear factor is when you lose 30 pounds and then gain 40 pounds. But when it reaches your essence, I really don't want to die. I really, really don't want to die yet then suddenly, what you couldn't do before, you could do now. So the power of will is a very peculiar level of the human psyche. The power of will, on the one hand, is the inclination of the essence of the soul. But by the mere fact when you talk about will, I want something the essence and simplicity of the soul lacks nothing. It is not in want of anything. The essence of the soul doesn't yearn to be. The essence of the soul is. So while you may ask, whoa, maybe here's a good place to detect our personal mission statement and purpose. Why? Because here... If you just back off and just follow, just listen, what do I consistently want? Wouldn't that tell me what my purpose is? If I constantly want, well, we're talking about the kosher wants. If I constantly want to be studying Torah, teaching Torah, no, I constantly want to be prayer. No, I constantly want to be a social worker. No, I constantly want to, if I keep on finding myself, no matter what situation I'm in, I'm always leaning, inclining towards that. That seems to be a good place in where to detect from the inside out what my personal mission statement is. But it changes, right? Because sometimes you have... There are certain wills that never change. But I'm going to take questions in a moment. Forgive me, I just want to run a monologue so we can stay focused here. In this process, there's one problem. And that's what I started talking to you about before I asked you the question. If you are wanting something in the outside world, you have not yet reached the beautiful simplicity and essence of your soul. Because in the essence, it has no yearnings. 
It is. In the beautiful simplicity of your soul, you're not even yearning for a relationship with God because the essence of the soul is relationship with God. Notice I left out the word in. I didn't say is in relationship with God. It is relationship with God. So, really, the only place to truly detect, not create, but truly detect, quoting again Viktor Frankl, we detect our purpose, we don't create it. The only place we can really detect from the inside out what is your purpose is when you get past the emotions, past the intellect, past the power of will into the quietness of the essence of the soul. Very abstract. Let's take it from a different way, a different avenue for a moment. See, in Hasidus, and these memorandum that I quoted to you, we talk about letters. There's the written letter, there's the engraved letter, layer one, there's the engraved letter, layer two, and then there is beyond letters. Let's talk about that. When we talk about letters, that's ink on parchment. There's ink, there's parchment, there's ink and parchment, united, we now have letters. What that's telling me is, even though it's united, it's external. For this conversation, we'll call that emotions. It's my emotions, it's my feeling. Let me tell you something, when you're in love, your physical heart expands. When you're feeling lonely, that, that's painful. It's not like I read about this. No, I, I, it's me. But what kind of me is it? It's the me of written letters, ink upon parchment. If you listen just to those needs, you're still dealing with creating a purpose from external influences. When we talk about intellect, there's a different type of letters. There's a letter which is called engraved letters. Now, in engraved letters, there's two types of engraved letters in the world of Kabbalah. There's engraved letters where it doesn't go through and through the stone. It's just etched into the stone, like, let's say, a couple of centimeters deep, right? Those letters aren't something else on the stone. They are the stone. There is no letter, stone. No, there's letters in the stone. But interesting enough, Kabbalah points out that when you do that, you interfere with the brilliance of the diamond, of the stone. Simply, the way the light's rebounding off of it, it's no more pure, the stone. There's something etched in it. That would make a difference in the brilliance of the stone. Even a stone that naturally gives off its own brilliance, it will now be altered. So while we're now dealing more on a level of internal oneness, but we have now an imposition upon, we're still talking about creating and influence of the external. There's a different type of letter in Kabbalah. And that's like the Luchot, the two tablets. If you guys remember, you studied, the sages teach us that the two tablets, the letters were engraved through and through. In that situation, actually, the brilliance of the stone is not altered. That means that if you looked at it like this, if I held it up like this, I'd see you through different holes. Oh. So it's not just a couple of centimeters. It's through the whole stone. We're talking about now 
the deepest unity that letters can ever have with the essence upon the letters upon which the letters exist. But Chassidus the Rebbe drives the point further in 1960. The Rebbe says that say it as you may, before the stone had no letters, it was simplicity, and now it has letters. So even something that's going to come to you from your will, the engraved letters, layer B, through and through, it's still an imposition. Yes, it's truly 11111, but it's an imposition. There was no form in the stone, and now there is forms in the stone. So the Rebbe talks about something beyond that, the simplicity of the essence of your soul. There are no letters there. When I learned this, and I'm looking right now through the eyes of Viktor Frankl's Detect Your Purpose, and I'm plowing through habit number two, begin with the end in mind, you need to have a personal mission statement. Suddenly, the Terebbe's teaching, it becomes very problematic. How am I supposed to read? Simplicity. I need to detect something. I need to detect a purpose. And the way I detect the purpose is by reading it. Reading it on the most deepest levels of the essence of my soul. But there's nothing to read. I'm looking at simplicity. How can I detect anything? When I look on the stone, where there is no letters. How can you see definition in there which exists beyond definition? How can I read in there which is beyond letters? So while it sounds great that we were going from layer to layer to layer, we're talking about the emotions, we're talking about the intellect, we're talking about will, and then we're getting to the essence there's no letters. There's nothing. Okay. No problem. But what? What am I detecting? So with this, I want to share with you an email story I once got a long time ago. And suddenly it came back to me after learning the mimer. There was a sculpture. A great sculpture. And... He created of a rock a beautiful bust of Abraham Lincoln. And his kid, his son, just turned around and said, Dad, how do you do that? And the sculpture father answered his son, Pay attention, please. Oh, it's very simple. I see Abraham Lincoln in the rock, and then I just chip away all the extras. I hear that story. I just finished learning a piece of Maimur from the Rebbe, which I, I'm struggling with. If there's no letters, then what's there to detect? I mean, I understand the beautiful and simplicity of the soul. It's where you're really within yourself. You're really on a vacation. There's nothing. There's no, no one. You're not hiding behind anything. Not your emotional needs to be in a relationship. Not your intellectual needs to be in a relationship. Not your desire of your soul wanting something. I hear you. But what I don't hear is that once I get there, how am I supposed to detect anything? It's simplicity. 
There's no form. There's no definition. There's no letters. Purpose needs to be defined. And I go back to that story. There is a moment when you're really, really with yourself. You've shut down your emotional chaos. You've shut down your intellectual processing. You've shut down the power of will. I want that. I want nothing. My need to understand is nothing. My driving feel to embrace someone is nothing. I sit now in the simplicity and the essence of my soul. The sculpture tells his son, if you're willing to face that, if you get over the fear of being alone, then you'll get to see, detect, not create, detect your purpose in the simplicity of your soul. And all you need to do now is chip away all the access. Access. This is what it means to really go on a vacation. Everyone you're in a relationship goes on their own stuff. Kids go to camp, spouses going to come and go, whatever it's going to be. And you sit with yourself, really with yourself. Not the emotional part of you that's going to keep on thinking about who you feel with, who you hate, who you're angry on, who you hurt, who you love, who you're this, who you're that. Not with intellectual part of always needing to analyze, 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 and then make it happen. Not the power of will which tells you you don't have everything, you need to want something. See, so what happens in the process of a vacation is that first you need to work your way that your emotions should be defined, controlled, maintained by your intellect. Your intellect should be empowered, imbued, permeated, completely filled with the will of the essence of your soul. But then, after you do that process, because before you do that, you're, you're just chaotic. You just rebel against anything and everything. You know, when I, when I meet you in the morning, you say, Hi, who are you today? But when you go through that process, now begins process B. Now it's time to shed. Start shedding layers. Shed the layer of your emotion. It's okay to be alone. It's okay that love is just a potential and not an actual realization for right now. It's okay that you don't have everything figured out comfortably in the cupboards of your mind. It's okay that you want nothing. It's okay. I just want to be for two weeks on a vacation alone with the simplicity of myself that has no need to reach out or to be touched by anyone or anything. It's okay. It's the piece of me that doesn't need a relationship because it is a relationship with God. Essence. That is the definition of a vacation. That's what this lecture was really, really all about. 
That's where you take a lecture, you take a vacation with yourself, and you really give up creating or imposing anything, any purpose, meaning upon yourself. You don't get an email about some animal that's going extinct in South Africa. You know what? That's a nice cause. But then you find out that there's a, the, the forest, the jungle, that, that's a nice cause. What's about I should become a scholar? That's a nice cause. You know, I should really be a better husband. What's about a better father? Am I really doing for the community everything I need to do? Leave go of all that for a moment. Remember what the sculpture said. All of a sudden, that email, which I saw years ago, came back to me. So powerfully. The essence of your soul that has no letters. It has purpose. It has a specific face within it. If you can just leave go of everything and see it. And now all you need to do is chip away the extras. This, guys, is a vacation. This is a vacation where you're not worried that your kids are going, you this, you that. No, you want to just spend two weeks really, really alone with myself. With the deepest moment of alone. No emotions, no perceptions, no desires. Simplicity. Eternity in a moment. So guys, it's time for a vacation. So let me recap. I'm going to read this. I always do it. I read it inside just to recap. Okay? A. We discussed our nature of hiding ourselves behind our relationships and needs of others. B. We discussed the layers of our soul, namely emotions, intellect, will. C. We discussed that the nature of emotions is to be in a relationship. Alone they are but potential. In a relationship, they are actualized. D. Intellect and will, as well, are not the simplicity of the soul. Intellect are faculties, and the power of will is an inclination, an outward inclination of the soul. Then we left with the essence of the soul. To understand that, we went to E. We discussed written letters, engraved letters level 1 and 2. And then we discussed the simplicity beyond letters. F. Remember the answer of the sculptor. Find the face within the rock and chip away the rest. My friends, it is time for a vacation. Of course we need to pack wisely for a vacation. But most important of all, don't forget to bring along yourself, alone, all alone, and enjoy.